Hello, you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Ellen Buchan, Insights and Communications Executive at AMBA and BGA. I was fortunate enough to have a conversation with Kimberly Nee, who's a Director of Talent Analytics at Hogan Assessment Systems. Hogan Assessment Systems recently produced research which showed that leaders with certain personality traits were more likely to promote diversity and inclusion. Kimberly was able to give us some more insights into these results, and we also discussed the personality traits which might allow some leaders to embrace the new normal better than others. So hi Kimberly, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your career to date, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a PhD in industrial organizational psychology. Um, After getting my degrees, I started at Hogan Assessment Systems as a consultant conducting validation studies uh, for organizations around the world. Um, But after about two years, I was promoted to director of talent analytics, and I've been in this role for the last five and a half years. And as the director of talent analytics, I lead the design and implementation of of legally defensible assessment-based selection and development projects for our clients. Um, my team conducts about you know, 100 validation studies each year to ensure that our clients hire and develop the top talent. But you know, one thing, um, as part of a data science team, we are encouraged to continually research you know, different topics. And um, you know, diversity and inclusion has been something that's been a passion of mine for quite a while. I became interested in this field and in personality in general because I wanted to help organizations create fair employment practices. For example, a fair talent acquisition process means that the process selects individuals who can perform in the job, but that anyone, regardless of any type of individual difference, still has a fair shot at getting that job. Um, And personality allows us to do that. Uh, It predicts many desired outcomes like performance, uh, retention, engagement, but it does doesn't discriminate against any individual difference. Um, so, you know, that means we can truly help organizations find the best talent, but I'm also here to help, you know, the individual find uh, the best job for them, um, something that fits their knowledge, their skills and abilities, because ultimately they're going to be more satisfied and higher performing if they're in the right job, they are in a culture that, you know, meets their values um, and, you know, they'll be happier in the end. That sounds amazing. And I want to get back onto personality in a second. But can you explain for those who don't know what Hogan Assessment Systems does? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Hogan Assessments is the global leader in providing research-based consulting and assessment solutions. Um, And this is because, you know, we really have decades of research and millions of data points to ensure that we have the most predictive and efficient solutions. So our tools help businesses reduce turnover, increase productivity, um, and they they can do this by hiring the right people or developing key talent um, and being able to evaluate leadership potential. So organizations rely on Hogan, um, you know, to improve quality of their hires, to facilitate individual development, um, or enhance team effectiveness. Um, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to just share a little bit about our, our three core assessments, because I think we'll be talking about those a little bit later, and they really are kind of the bread and butter of what we do. Um, we started as a personality test publisher, and it's really the foundation of the business. So we approach personality really holistically. Um, We measure the bright side, we measure the dark side, we measure the inside um, to give us that holistic picture of how an individual is going to engage with others. So our Hogan personality inventory gives us that bright side that um, 
how an individual is going to behave day to day. The Hogan Development Survey or the HDS is um, you know, really something that's quite unique in the industry. It, it you know, takes a look at the opposite side, the not the the opposite of the bright side or what we call the dark side or those characteristics that, you know, may start to derail your behavior when you're no longer self-monitoring. And that can be because you're stressed or you're tired or you're burned out, or maybe you've had a couple too many cocktails at happy hour. Um, and those are those things that can, you know, come out and, and really derail your behavior. Um, and then motives, values, preferences, inventory is uh, our measure that gives us insight on what motivates or drives an individual. So, you know, by using these three tools, um, we can really get a holistic picture of an individual. Um, you know, what is their decision-making style? What are their values? Uh, what is What are they going to look like on a normal day? And, and how might they derail? Um, what motivates them to succeed? How they work? How well they'll work with others? How they, you know, communicate? Um, and, you know, really just gives us this holistic picture to help an organization, you know, make selection decisions or, you know, develop key talent um, and nurture them into the future leaders for the organization. That sounds amazing. Um, so the reason that we wanted to speak to you today was because Hogan just released some really interesting research that said that certain leaders with certain personality traits are more likely to promote diversity and inclusion. Can you tell me a little bit more about the results of this research? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are two kind of core components of this research, and I do want to highlight both. Um, because I do think they're equally important. And that's because our assessments can also be used to support DNI initiatives, you know, across the company. Um, so first, I just want to make the quick point that our assessments, you know, do predict performance um, and do that in a way that doesn't discriminate against any individual difference. So for example, that means males score similarly on the assessments as females. We don't tend to find that, you know, males score better or differently. Um, and I think that's an important thing to note because because that means organizations can use our assessments to hire a more diverse, high-performing um, workforce. So, you know, you, it's, there's more you can do with our assessments than just at the leadership level. So I, I do want to make that point. Um, but honestly, that is the easy part, right? Um, it's somewhat easy to bring in diverse talent. The more challenging piece is finding a way to retain that talent, to engage those diverse individuals and make sure that they feel heard, they feel included, um, that they have opportunities to develop and be promoted to levels of leadership. So that's really where the second part of our research comes in and, and more to the point of your question. Um, what we've found is that there are certain personality characteristics that predict inclusion behaviors and leaders. Um, we are, just to give you a little background on our research, we, we use a method called meta-analysis, and this allows us to aggregate data across 47 organizations. Um, that means in 47 different organizations around the world, we've collected personality data and ratings on inclusion behaviors for approximately 5,500 individuals. Um, and then we can, you know, aggregate those within study correlations to find relationships between personality and inclusion behaviors. And we, what we found is that there are specific characteristics um, that, you know, organizations can use to identify or develop uh, more inclusive leaders across our three assessments. So when people are taking the tests, how do you make sure that they're giving an accurate assessment of themselves and not just saying what they think their organization wants to hear and what aligns to their organization's values? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, so, 
you know, our assessments are designed to evaluate a person's reputation, not a person's identity. So, you know, we know this because when we designed the assessments and, and still today, we have individuals take the assessments and then we have, you know, friends or family or people that know them well describe that person. Um, and we then can use that information to provide interpretation about a pattern of responding. So it doesn't really matter what a person thinks about themselves or how they respond to any individual item. Um, it isn't obvious what each question is evaluating. Um, but we know how to describe the individuals based on how they've responded and know what, what pattern of responding predicts, you know, certain, you know, performance in certain jobs. So that means there isn't really a right or wrong answer, but it will tell us if you can perform a job, how you will work with others, whether or not you fit a company's culture, how you're going to engage and make decisions. And that's extremely hard to fake. Um, and in fact, when we've conducted research on the topic of faking and, you know, tried to instruct people to um, fake for a specific job, we find that people tend to actually do worse when trying to fake um, to pass a specific job profile because it just it's really isn't that obvious. That's incredible. Um, you said a little bit about corporate culture there and one of my, com- my questions is this when an individual um, well when a company is hiring individuals how do they ensure that they're finding individuals who match the corp- company's values but they also create a workforce that's not too similar so there's a lot of diversity of thought for example. Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. So, you know, I would say in terms of, you know, thinking about inclusion and making sure you can retain your diverse your diverse talent, um, you know, that may require a cultural shift, and that's something that organizations are going to have to be aware of. You know, if they've got a culture that isn't inclusive, um, or you know, only inclusive of certain types of you know thought, that may that may require a bit of cultural shift. And so, I think that's going to speak to the importance of of bringing in leaders that are inclusive and can kind of help drive that change. Um, but in terms of just you know thinking about having an individual fit a culture, that's something that you know, we're very skilled at doing at Hogan and we help organizations all the time find individuals that, you know, have values that match, you know, the organizational values. Um, but, you know, the, the point about making sure that you don't end up with too many people that look exactly the same is a, is a great one. And it's, um, it's one that's probably one of the most common fears that we hear from clients in terms of using personality. And it's a real concern because uh, we do want to have diversity of thought. You don't want to have, you know, a set of clones that have the same personality profile. And, and you want to have individuals that have a variance in the way that they approach things. Um, but when selection is done correctly, uh, the goal is to understand and predict future performance on job requirements, not reproduce the personalities of existing employees. So that means, you know, we use job analytic methods um, and other research methods to understand job requirements. Uh, we can use our vast database to identify personality characteristics that predict performance on those job requirements. Um, but the thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is that not all personality characteristics are relevant for a job, meaning some characteristics don't differentiate between high and low performers um, or you know, don't identify individual that fits a company culture. So we identify a few that are and allow others to vary when building specific selection profiles for a job. Necessary characteristics will vary across, you know, 
jobs and even within jobs. And we're really only, you know, screening the extreme ends of a few scales. So that means within a job, you're still going to see, you know, different personality characteristics and, and then profiles will vary greatly across the organization. Um, but the last thing that I just want to point out um, is that you know, this topic also emphasizes the need for strong leadership um, and also the benefits of being able to use personality for individual or team development in addition to selection. So I just want to give you an example. Uh, my team at Hogan, the data science team, um, we do have, you know, a couple characteristics where you'll see lot of us score very highly on those characteristics, um, so less diversity. Um, and, you know, that's because we, we do believe in our tools and we do use them for selection. So, for example, we tend to see that our team scores higher on interpersonal sensitivity and prudence because we're in a client-facing role. We work, you know, in very collaborative types of projects and we have to have a high attention to detail. We really can't make mistakes. So, um, you know, that means on those a couple of scales, our team tends to look very similarly. Alternatively, we've also examined, you know, high-performing cross-functional leadership teams that have vastly different personality profiles. But in either case, it's absolutely critical to be able to leverage the strengths of having the diverse characteristics that you do have um, that may be needed in different situations, but also bring awareness to unconscious biases where a team may be similar. So we can use our tools to guide those conversations for strategic self-awareness. So on my team, we, you know, we said, I said, we, we tend to be highly prudent and I know that we have a bias for structure and may lack flexibility. So that means, you know, if there's a project, um, that requires some flexibility or when we're working with our teams, that's something we have to be aware of and work to balance um, internally. Yeah, it's amazing that you can kind of build teams. And that kind of brings me on to my next question is about leadership. And I was wondering if there's, obviously, there's kind of been a crisis for many organizations right now uh, or in the last six months. Sure. Is there personality traits which mean that some leaders are going to lead more effectively through a crisis? Um, and how do you kind of like look out for those? Our research shows that, you know, um, there are several characteristics that are critical across our three assessments. Um, I think, you know, probably one of the most obvious things is having a leader that can remain calm, right? Because it's a, it's a stressful um, situation when you're going through a crisis. Um, but they also take charge and, you know, can confidently make critical decisions and make those quickly. Um, so there are a couple scales on our Hogan personality inventory on the bright side that speak to that. So, you know, leaders who are adjusted and ambitious are able to quickly adapt uh, to unexpected, you know, changes is, you know, caused by the crisis, such as, you know, are suddenly shifting to everyone working remotely. Um, and then they also make sure they maintain lines of communication with people about how to proceed. Um, the second comes from our Hogan Development Survey, so that dark side measure. Um, and what our research shows is that, you know, even if you're not displaying it externally, when people are under stress, they can lose their normal mode of operating, meaning, you know, you typically see those bright side characteristics, but under stress, under this crisis situation, those dark side um, behaviors might start to come out. Um, and so when people are faced with a crisis, they, they tend to derail in three major ways. Um, there's moving away, which is, you know, 
running from the problem, moving against, which is combating those that cause the problem, and then three, moving toward, uh, which is you know getting as close to the problem as possible and trying to micromanage it. And none of these are really particularly helpful, um, but the the most detrimental is um, you know that that moving away approach. Um, and common tactics in this category include, you know, denying that there's a problem, pretending that the problem is overblown, or giving up on the problem entirely. So that we find that leaders who are effective during crisis, you know, really face those stressful challenges head on. They're honest with themselves and others about the size of the problem um, and are able to put mitigating actions into place as soon as possible. And then last, they really are, you know, remain open to new ideas. They're listening to their teams. They're maintaining trust with their teams, even you know, working remotely and working to stay engaged and connected um, so they can communicate openly and transparently. And then the last area um, kind of is a combination across the, the HPI, the Hogan Personality Inventory and the Modus Values Preferences Inventory. Um, and this speaks really just to the ability to show compassion. And I think that's been a really important thing um, right now because this has been hard on everyone, you know, regardless of your situation. Um, it's hard to go through this. And so, you know, just having leaders that show compassion and stay connected and, and show that they really truly care about, you know, their employees and their customers and communities and partners um, rather than just, you know, only working on how do we resolve, you know, issues with our bottom line during this crisis, I think is, is truly critical. And, and so that um, there are a couple scales, interpersonal sensitivity and altruism that, that speak to that ability to really show that, you know, you care for, for others and, and are going to work to, you know, try to, to make things as, as good as possible. And kind of on the same kind of theme, when working remotely, do you think there's certain personality tests, which or traits, sorry, which mean that employees do better in remote working environments than others? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, we started to get this question, you know, as soon as um, kind of the the pandemic hit and people started to work remotely. Um, and, you know, I think our hypothesis going into this research, uh, researching this question was really that, you know, likely the individual that, you know, is probably a hard worker and dedicated in an office is, is going to be the same at home. Um, and, you know, to some extent, I think that is true. Um, there are certain you know, competencies or behaviors that we've identified as being important for somebody that can work remotely. So, you know, being able to self-manage by demonstrating self-control and motivation without direction from others and, you know, communicating effectively with others. And I think that's, you know, really important when everybody is having to change the way that they communicate and being remote, um, you know, still having strong communication skills, whether that's through email or, or being more comfortable to having a Zoom call. Um, working in, the, in a dependable and timely manner. Um, and that's one where, you know, you could say that that one is important regardless of where you're working. Um, and so it kind of goes back to that hypothesis of thinking those that are going to be good employees in the office are going to be good at home as well. Um, being able to adapt to different situations, approaches, and ideas. So that's something that, you know, is kind of just speaking to that need to flex um, that is would be new um, and dealing with a new situation. And then developing collaborative relationships to achieve key objectives. Um, and what we find is that there are personality characteristics that are, you know, closely linked to 
um, those those behaviors. So, you know, individuals who are seen as reliable, structured, and conscientious um, tend to be more successful remote workers because you know they're in um, they work in a predictable and dependable manner. Um, additionally, those individuals who are perceived as considerate, warm, and sympathetic are going to be more likely to build relationships, even if if they're working from home. Um, Self management requires individuals who can you know handle stress well and um, still be an effective communicator. So these characteristics that I'm describing are a lot of those characteristics that, you know, I've talked about in the previous question from our Hogan personality inventory. Um, so having somebody that, you know, is adjusted, that's ambitious and driven, um, that, you know, cares to build strong relationships, um, which is our interpersonal sensitivity scale. And then um, prudence, you know, speaks to that conscientious and dependable individual. And then, you know, we did find some um, patterns with the HDS as well, um, similar things, you know, having individuals that um, are not excitable, so not volatile, which would really be important, you know, when you think about still being able to um, develop collaborative relationships, um, even even if you're in a remote setting, and then also, you know, being able to adapt to different situations, um, you know, individuals that are a bit more excitable or volatile struggle a bit more with um, that that changing environment. Um, and then our, we have a, a few scales on the HDS that um, are from that, you know, moving away cluster. Um, I'm sorry, moving against cluster that, that um, called imaginative and mischievous and colorful. And those characteristics um, speak to being dependable. So those are characteristics that we would see even in, you know, if you're in the workplace um, and not working from home can be something that can detract from individuals that, you know, are dependable and responsible and, and get their work done in a, in a timely manner. Absolutely. I think it'd be so helpful for a leader knowing kind of who in their team is going to adapt better to this new normal um, than others. Yeah, absolutely. I am afraid I kind of left my maybe tr most tricky question to last. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm really interested to hear about AI because recently come under quite a lot of criticism because the people writing AI and creating AI are including their bias accidentally into it. And I was wondering how Hogan designs its assessments so that they don't inadvertently include any bias. Yeah, that's um, a fantastic question and certainly something that we're keeping our eye on. Um, you're right, you did save the, the turkey question for last and I have to just admit I'm not the expert here. On our data science team, we, we do have one of the da largest data science teams um, in the industry and we have a product innovation team that you know does all of our validation for our assessments and our pre-validated solutions. And then my team does those um, custom client solutions. Um, so I, I'm just gonna come right out and say, I'm, I'm not the expert here. But what I do know from, from their work is that, you know, they, they don't use artificial intelligence or machine learning models um, to assess people's personality or values or cognitive ability. Um, they do use machine learning techniques like lasso regression to analyze matched personality and job performance data Data. Um, and and that would be to build you know selection solutions um, but even in doing that you know they are balancing across multiple criteria so can they explain that solution is it interpretable um, does it predict desired outcomes like performance and retention um, and then last and most importantly or maybe most importantly is does it lack bias um, 
And then the other area that we do use machine learning on the talent analytics side um, is through a, a method called natural language processing. And we use that to identify relevant characteristics from text data that we collect whenever we are conducting interviews with subject matter experts um, to identify you know, the success characteristics for a specific job. This really just allows us to be more efficient in conducting validation studies, but you know, we use those models to basically code the data initially, and then there's always a human review. So in short, uh, we test for group differences regardless of what we're, we're doing on all items, scales and recommendations and avoid black box algorithms so we can figure out where bias is occurring, understand what is causing it and remedy it. That's really interesting. Um, and it, yeah, sounds like you're doing a lot to make sure that there's no bias involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's the last of my questions. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much to Kimberly for being on the podcast today. If you'd like some more thought leadership, head to www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition and make sure to listen out for the next podcast. <laughs>